Well, good morning and uh, happy Easter. We're so glad that you joined us this morning. If you're new here, my name is Tim Deal. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am terrified of spiders. Um, if you've been around, you know this to be true. In fact, some of you have enjoyed um, making fun of me about this, which is fair. Uh, but I'm, I mean, it's a little irrational, my fear of spiders. Uh, so, for example, this past week, I was going somewhere with my family, and we're all in the van together. And you know the little, like, window thing, right? Like the, the little switch that makes the window go up, right? So I was going to push that. And I wasn't looking directly at it because I know where that thing is that I can locate it without looking. But out of the corner of my eye, something moved. Now, I don't know about your car, but in my car, things aren't supposed to move unless I push them. That's how this works. We have an agreement. And so I go, and and out of the corner of my eye, this little black thing moves. And I turn, and it's a spider. And so I'm freaking out. Like, I'm flailing, I'm looking for something, because clearly there's got to be something in this van that I can use to kill this spider. So I'm wigging out a little bit. Did I mention I was driving? So I'm driving at the time, and my whole family's in the van with me. And my wife's like, can you just at least pull over? Can you pull the car off the road, please? We're in here. Um, and, but, you know, I don't know about... But when fear hits, you kind of go myopic. Right? The only thing you can imagine is the thing that you're afraid of and how it's going to destroy you. And so this tiny spider suddenly became gargantuan, like the thing from Lord of the Rings, right? Like that kind of a thing. Until I located, I don't know what it was, it was like a tissue or something that I was able to, to kill it and we were fine. But that's what fear does, right? Fear, fear is <clears throat> a story where you're the central character, But it's all about self-protection. It's all about, what am I going to do to stay alive? And in that moment, it's really easy for everything else to get a little fuzzy, even people you really care about. Well, of course, this morning, we are celebrating Easter. And in the Christian faith, this is, I think Dave mentioned it earlier, it is kind of the moment that defines everything. Even more so than, say, Christmas, as important as that is, this is the moment that we believe everything changed. When death was defeated by death, when Christ rose. And we've been looking at, uh, we've been kind of looking at one of the biographies of Jesus that we find in the New Testament, uh, the Gospel of Mark. And if you're familiar at all with the New Testament, there's four different biographies. Mark is the, the shortest and the earliest written. And so we've been in that for the last couple of weeks in a series we're calling Reversal, where we've been looking at some of the, the kind of ways that Jesus flips life on its head for us. And that's particularly true as we come to the resurrection. So we're going to look at the end of Mark's gospel this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to follow along. If you don't, we'll have the passage up on the screen so you can uh, follow along with us. Beginning at the verse 1 in Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, 
they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that is how Mark ends his story. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, if you're someone who um, maybe has a Bible or you've, you've at different times heard this story, you might be going, actually, <coughs> excuse me, I'm getting over something. I'll try not to, to cough in the mic. I know that's annoying. Um, actually, that, I, don't know, is that, I don't think that's how that ends. And there's actually a couple more verses, right? Like, there's other things that happen. But if you do have a Bible and you look, you'll notice there's probably an asterisk or there's something that happens right between verse 8 and verse 9. In my Bible, it says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 to 20. So in the earliest records that we find, this is where it ends. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, that doesn't mean that what happens next didn't happen. In fact, there are those scholars who would argue that, that Mark actually added that last part. And it does line up a lot with some of the other, uh, other biographies and what they say happened after this. But when Mark chose to end it, he chose to end it there. And I find that fascinating. And not quite what you would expect. I mean, he begins his book with these, this phrase where he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning of the story of the one who will be king. Gospel was this word that meant the announcement of a new king. And so it's this big pronouncement about what's going to happen. And he ends with, after the most significant event in human history, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So, is that just like he didn't know how to finish, and so he just punted? Of course not. I actually think that this is part of what makes this story so compelling for myself and for millions, billions of people over the course of human history. This is what happens when something blows your mind. Right? I mean, imagine, imagine. So these people were expecting that Jesus was going to be the king. He was going to be the one who sets up God's kingdom on earth, kicks out the Romans, completely just annihilates their enemies, and makes their dreams come true. And then Friday happened, where the, the, the kingdom, the power, the Roman Empire that Jesus was supposed to defeat actually destroys him. He's dead. And so they're trying to come to grips with this. They're mourning. They're grieving. They're coming to the tomb to anoint his body, which is kind of a traditional thing that they would do because as his body's decomposing, they would put perfumes and spices on it so it wouldn't stink as badly. It was something they did out of respect. But this is over. It's done. 
all hope is lost. And so we, we initially might think that when they get this announcement, that they'd just be celebrating, that it would just be one big party. Except that's not how humans work. When we encounter something that we've never experienced before, our default, even if it's good, is fear. It's to go inward. I mean, an example. I, I took my family to uh, Niagara Falls a number of years ago. Maybe you've been to Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls is kind of a big thing, right? Like, uh, and, and there's this ridiculous thing that we do um, that's called the Maid of the Mist. It's this ship that you get on that takes you kind of into the horseshoe of Niagara Falls as billions of gallons of water are just kind of crashing down all around you. And there's these huge kind of mountains of mist going up into the air. And we like go in the middle of that and we're like, look at this. This is pretty awesome. And so we went. <coughs> and I had, at the time, uh, my two oldest were pretty young. I, I believe my daughter Grace was about four and, and my son was five or six. And so we, we took them because we thought this would be cool, right? And so we, we go in there, and, uh, and if you've done this, you, you kind of go in the middle, and there's just walls of water crashing down all around you. And I, frankly, I'm a little frightened, right? Because the, the guy who's driving the ship thinks it's really funny, like fun then to kind of turn the ship off and just kind of float. Except that I'm thinking, I've done that with my car, and it hasn't started back up before. Like, what's plan B? What do we do if this thing doesn't, right? Uh, thankfully, my kids weren't at the place that they could figure that out. But my daughter, in the moment, you know, again, she's like four years old. All she knows is this is the loudest moment of her life, right? There's just this roar, water's crashing all around her. And so rather than kind of enjoying this moment, she's like got her head buried into my shoulder, trying to drown out the, the roaring of the water. She's freaked out. Why? Well, because her mind could not comprehend. I mean, my mind can hardly comprehend it. Her mind couldn't get itself around the Niagara Falls. Just couldn't do it. And so her natural response was fear. And this is what happens to any of us as humans when we encounter something that blows our minds, that's bigger than we can wrap our heads around, that's just utterly different. And as remarkable as the resurrection is, nobody saw this coming. As hard as it is for us to believe, it was equally as hard for them. It's not like they walked around expecting dead people to rise. They never saw this coming. And so, like us, when they encounter this new thing, their knee-jerk reaction is fear. And so they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Because that's what fear does. Fear drives us inward. It causes us to have myopic vision. It causes us to endanger our family on the road because of a teeny tiny little spider. It causes us to treat someone who's very different than us with fear and suspicion. It causes us to cling tightly to relationships that we need to let go. It causes us to attack when we ought to be building bridges. And sometimes, 
Fear causes us to be silent when we ought to speak up. And so what's remarkable in this story is how true it is to our experience. This is what happens when your mind gets blown by something you've never seen before. You're afraid. We're afraid. This is what life is like. But here's the interesting part, right? We have the story. We know what happened. And so what we know is, even though their initial reaction was fear, somewhere along the line, they told somebody. Somewhere along the line, they stepped through fear. They chose to find their voice, to say what was true. Even though it felt crazy, they did it. You see, the first miracle of the resurrection was that Jesus conquered death, was that God's love was more powerful than death itself. The thing that forever was the enemy was now defeated. That's the first miracle. The second was the way that believing the resurrection transformed the lives of these first women. That somewhere between they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid, and whenever they became a different kind of people who lived out of a different place for a different reason. I mean, think about it. <coughs> what is the worst case scenario in any scenario? Like, you know, let's just say you're doing anything and someone says, well, what's the worst that could happen? You die, right? I mean, that's literally like the worst. I mean, there might be a couple of exceptions. You know, we have the phrase, a fate worse than death for a reason. Um, there are things that we assume might be worse than death. But in most cases, if I were to say, like, what's the worst that could happen? You could die, right? You'd say, yeah, that's pro that would definitely be bad. That would be probably the worst thing that could happen. So what if the worst case scenario, the worst thing that could possibly happen was suddenly temporary? What if the thing that you most feared was no longer so terrifying? If death was not a period but a comma, what if death did not have the final word? Because this is what the resurrection claims. That death is no longer the one that wins in the end. That in fact, God's love in Christ conquered death. And so you don't have to be afraid. And what happens to these women is not simply this new theology, this new understanding about what God is up to in the world. What happens is a new way of living, something different that comes out in their lives. They become different kinds of people because of the resurrection. That's the key. But in order to do that, the surprise twist, the reversal is that you have to die first. 
Now, in some ways, that's kind of obvious, um, right? Resurrection is only remarkable because death is real. But it's not just this idea of literal death, though that's true. But it's also this idea of dying to yourself. Dying to you as the central character of the story. Right? Because that's how love and life wins over fear. Because in fear, we're the main character. And life is all about protecting ourselves from others, from the dangers out there, from those who would want to impose their will on us. But if we die to that, then we no longer have to live for ourselves. We're suddenly free to live a life of love for others. It's interesting. um, There was an article this week in Forbes about the top 50 leaders in the world. And I think like 14 on the list was U2's frontman Bono. And so they were talking about uh, Bono's work among, uh, with nonprofits, his work with the One Campaign and Red, and how he's, he's done a masterful job of reaching kind of across the aisle and helping people come together around real-world issues and make real-world differences. But they were talking to Bono in the article about his art, about how he continues to write music in the midst of this. And as he was talking about that, he, he quoted his friend Brendan Kennelly. This is in case you were looking at this going, there is, that's not Bono. Um, you're right, it's not. Um, that is Brendan Kennelly, who is an Irish poet. And when Bono was talking about how he continues to create beauty and meaning through art in the midst of all of the brokenness and the chaos that he's involved with in his nonprofit work, he said what's really helpful was remembering this quote this thing that his friend Brendan Kennelly said to him. Kennelly said, if you really want to get to that place, to the the dark heart of the matter, to the, the source of inspiration and beauty and hope, write as if you're dead. You won't be worrying about what anyone is thinking. You won't have any ego. In order to get to what really creates beauty and life and meaning, Kennelly's saying, you've got to die. You've got to die to your ego, die to yourself, so that you're free to do what's beautiful and right and good in the world. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he talks about our need to die to ourself so that we can live in him. Paul, one of the early church leaders, <coughs> Uh, wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, there are letters he sent out to different churches. And one of them we call 1 Corinthians. He writes about the resurrection. And he says this. He says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For the perishable must, must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, 
because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I love this. As, as Paul kind of reflects on the resurrection of Christ, as he does this kind of deep work of kind of building up, what does this all mean? It's not just some kind of esoteric kind of theological thing to play with. It gets really practical really fast. He says, because this is true, because the resurrection is true, double down on the work of the Lord. Live out the way of Christ here and now. It's not in vain. What you do now matters for eternity because the resurrection is true. And it's not in vain because as Paul talks about Christ's resurrection as first fruits, that ultimately what we believe happened in the resurrection of Christ is that it's simply the beginning of what God is up to for the rest of eternity. That as Christ rose from the dead, so someday God will resurrect all those who hope in Christ to life new here on earth. And in this way that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, as hard to believe in a lot of ways as the resurrection itself, the claim is that all that we do in response to that lasts forever. That the things that we do out of faith and hope and love right now are things that last forever. N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, says it this way. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, you are accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. The message of the resurrection is don't be afraid. Everything you do in love lasts forever. Don't be afraid. The resurrection frees us from fear to live lives of love and service to others. We're going to take a moment now and listen to a story. There are a few illustrations that I've, I've come across, people that I've talked to, that embody this as well as uh, a young man who has been a part of our community in various ways. And as I've sat talking with this individual um, over the course of a couple of lunches and just various conversations, I've been struck by how much I see the resurrection in his life and in his story. So he's going to share that with us now.
exposure, and I'm going to start my story when I was 16. And um, when I was 16, I was a really selfish person, and pretty much anything important in my life I took for granted. Uh, I was also very reckless. So one night, while skiing with friends, uh, we built a big jump, and uh, I went off the jump and ended up getting turned around in the air, and I'm upside down, coming toward the ground, and my head hit the ground like that with my face first, and the rest of my body went back over top of my uh, head. So that broke two bones in my neck, and one of the bones jabbed my spinal cord. This instantly, uh, I'm paralyzed uh, from the neck down, which is, uh, I knew it was very, very serious when it happened. And I ended up losing consciousness up on the hill. And when I woke up a few days later, the doctors came in and they told me I would never be able to walk again and be confined to an electric wheelchair. So this was, needless to say, this was an extremely difficult situation to be in for a 16-year-old. Um, everyone surrounding me, including myself, uh, the whole time we put so much importance on regaining physical ability. And uh, I am thankful every day and very fortunate that I did regain some physical ability but that's not the important part uh, of the story. When my rehab plateaued, I found myself uh, getting really depressed because my passion for regaining function wasn't accomplishing what I wanted. I knew I needed a big change, so uh, I decided to buy a one-way ticket to Hawaii, and uh, my, my family and friends did not like this idea at all, but uh, I knew that I needed something. So actually, when I got there, it turned out that my surroundings isn't what needed to change. Um, there was something inside myself. Um, I pretty much got to the point over there even, I, I, I just was really depressed and I just gave up and started to pray. Uh, I was praying and it wasn't too long after I really started praying that it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I still remember the moment it happened. And that is, I realized God's love wasn't this unattainable thing far away. Uh, God's love was not only surrounding me, but within me. And it always was and always will be. Uh, in, this, in, in this moment, I realized there was a reason that this happened to me. That there were far greater things than the physical world. And if it took this accident for me to discover that, then that's what I needed to happen. Um, fast forward to today... I have continued down this path of striving to grow in my faith and see all the blessings in my life. Um, if it wasn't for that accident, I wouldn't be the person I am today, which is actually a really scary thought. Uh, and I have gone through many more difficult times throughout this journey. God used what seemed to be a terrible tragedy and turned it into the greatest blessing in my life. Um, People have a hard time understanding this, but I am thankful every day for what happened that night, and I am thankful for every difficult situation I've gone through. Uh, it's what brought me to discovering the most important thing, and that is God's love. So, happy Easter, and I hope this can be an encouraging story for you to see that when things seem impossible... God's love is surrounding you, and there is a reason for what you are going through.
I am so honored that Brian chose to share his story with us. I, it's quite something to sit across from someone who has obviously gone through so much difficulty and hear him say the words, which I heard a couple of weeks ago, which actually is the thing that led me to ask him if he would share with us. So he's like, look, no one believes me when I say this, but it's true. I'm really glad that this happened. I'm really glad for every painful experience because it's been in those moments that I've learned what really matters. It's because of that that I've come to learn about who God is and what God is doing in my life. If it hadn't been for those, I wouldn't be who I am. And that's more important than having all of my physical resources. It's remarkable. But that, that is the claim of the resurrection. That there is something more beautiful, more meaningful, more purposeful than getting everything that we want. In fact, what we most need often only comes when we die to what we want so that we can be open to what we need. And what I love about Brian's story, too, you saw at the end, well, here's a picture of him with some of his artwork, and, and one of the, the beautiful things that came out of Brian's struggle was his work in pointillism. We have a small print of his in the back. I had thought about bringing it up, and I forgot. Um, but uh, you can see it. It's on the back wall here. Um, but he's done many other works since then. In fact, in recent months, uh, he's gotten quite a bit of national attention over the work he's doing. And he's currently working on, are you finished? Finished with the largest piece of pointillism, potentially, that's ever been created, um, which is kind of remarkable. Um, and so the, the result of all of this death in Brian's life is immeasurable beauty. That's not just for him. It's not just beauty that he sits around and enjoys. It's something that brings meaning and transcendence into the world in a way that only art can, and often that only pain can. But in Christ, everything done in love lasts forever. The things that are perishable, Paul says, die so they can be swallowed up by what's imperishable, what is eternal, what lasts forever. And so whatever you do in love, whatever you find to do to make a difference, to bring beauty, life, meaning, hope in the world, is a testimony to the reality of the resurrection, that death does not win in the end. It's temporary, that what's done in love lasts forever. That's the hope of the resurrection that we celebrate today. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't or we can't still struggle with fear. We do and we will. We're humans. And that's part of the gift of each other. That is why communities like this exist. Not so that we can come and just get all the answers, but so that as we come and explore this crazy, mysterious stuff together. We can remind one another. We can nudge one another and say, remember, whatever is done in love lasts forever. I know it's hard to believe, but the resurrection is true. 
we can have hope. Death is not the end. It's temporary. That is the gift of community. Whether you're there or you're still on the journey in question, and we're all still on the journey at some level, but you might even be in a place where you're like, I don't even I don't know, but I'm drawn to this. I, I think there's something compelling here. And so we walk together. We encourage one another. We struggle together. We share our fears, and we remind ourselves that death is not the end that because of the resurrection, what's done in love lasts forever. Father, thank you uh, for the opportunity to celebrate the resurrection. Thank you for the invitation for us to live, to to double down on the work of the Lord because we know that everything done in love isn't done in vain. Give us courage and strength to live lives of faith and hope and love, to make a practical difference in the lives of people around us, to live as though death is not the end, that death is only temporary, that it's a comma, not a period, and so that we can be people who die to ourselves and live with you for others. We ask this in the name of the one who conquered death through his death and rose and came out the other side of the tomb so that we could have life with him for others.